0: Welcome to this week's edition of Flashback Friday, your opportunity to get some good review by listening to episodes from the past that Jason has handpicked to help you today in the present and propel you into the future. Enjoy.
2: Welcome to The Creating Wealth Show, episode number nine hundred and fifty-one nine five one. Thank you so much for joining me today. This is your host, Jason Hartman, and we are going to do a show with three people today. We've got our client, Drew Baker, on the line, and our other client, my own mother on the line. (laughs) We are going to talk about self-management. There are a lot of misconceptions in this area, and I want to clear some of those up today. Drew has several properties. He has property managers for all of them. My mom has several properties, and she self-manages all of them. So we're going to go into this great, maybe great debate today about these different concepts and different ways to deal with self-management and how that operates. Opportunity is available to you. But first a couple quick uh, reminders and announcements If you were at meet the masters of income property, thank you so much for joining us for that Go to jasonhartman.com slash photos jasonhartman.com slash photos and get your photos And if you are uh, into voyeurism, you can go there too and check out the photos of of everybody else (laughs) How do you like that? Check that out. And for the ice hotel, we've got another registration Uh, Congratulations to Jeff and Shannon who are joining us for the Bucket list ice hotel adventure in Sweden. We need a few more people to green light this trip. Check out the details at jasonhartmanicehotel.com. Jasonhartmanicehotel.com. Also, we've got another event coming up, a JHU, Jason Hartman University, in San Jose, California, Silicon Valley. And uh, that is coming up on March 3rd. Very exciting event. We haven't done this one in quite a while. We only do these about once a year. Let me just explain kind of the overview of some of our events just real quickly before we get our two guests going here Basically, we do a couple different kinds of events we do our annual conference meet the masters of income property and at that conference I don't talk very much. That's basically a conference where we have a bunch of different guest speakers. And uh, you kind of know what that's about, probably, because I've been talking about it lately. Then we have our Creating Wealth one-day seminar, okay, Creating Wealth, and that's my Core content that I've been teaching for 14 years, and uh, we've had thousands and thousands of people come through that. It's sort of philosophical in nature, philosophies, mega trends on investing, things like that. And then we have JHU, and we added JHU, Jason Hartman University, a few years ago because people were requesting some real interactive content. They wanted to know how do I do the math of investing? How do I keep score? How do I decide which properties to buy and which properties not to buy? How do I figure out the calculations? And so this is a very hands-on event where you will need a pen and paper or maybe a pencil. And uh, you will be writing and you will be doing the equations and analyzing investments. It's a very interactive event. So that's what JHU is. This is on March 3rd, Early Bird Pricing at jasonhartman.com in the events section. So grab your tickets today. We've only got 15 tickets available at that early bird price So we do have a partner on this event Selling tickets for us as well A local RIA, Real Estate Investment Group Up in uh, San Jose And so uh, they will be selling tickets as well These will sell very, very quickly So jasonhartman.com In the events section for your tickets for that So first of all, Mom, welcome How are you? I'm
1: fine, Jason
2: It's good to have you back on the show You've been on several times And people always love it when you're on the show And of course you spoke it. Meet the Masters as well uh, with uh, my aunt joan your sister talked about the way you guys built and manage your your real estate portfolios and then we've got drew baker drew welcome how are you hey thanks for having me back It's good to have you. Good to have you. And Drew, thanks for setting up the three-way call. You know, folks, a lot of things bug me in life. I complain a a fair amount. I know that. Of course, leaf blowers are one of the biggest evils and scourges in modern history, modern life. The other one that just amazes me and shocks me on a daily basis is what a pathetic piece of junk Skype is. (laughs) We're talking on Skype now, and it has the world's worst use. User interface and every time they update the program it gets worse but it does have a benefit it has very good sound quality when it works so uh, drew had to set up this three-way call because for whatever reason Skype cited it didn't want to do a three-way call today <laughs> it's mind-boggling uh, anyway enough of my pet peeves but you know what else really annoys me maybe you guys will have a comment on this people that drive really loud cars and motorcycles I mean, how is that legal (laughs) to have these incredibly loud vehicles that I can hear in my high-rise when I'm trying to sleep? They make noise. They echo for blocks and blocks around. It's crazy. Do you guys agree with this?
0: I've heard that there's a strategy behind that. Yeah, yeah, for some, I know. Uh,
2: you know safety. They, they don't want to get hit. That's for the motorcycles, but how do you explain the obnoxious cars that are modified, and, you know, and they modify them so their exhaust is really loud? It's just obnoxious, frankly. But, yeah, I know the safety. Every
0: time somebody drives by like that, I just look at them and say out loud, wow, you're so cool. Just in,
2: in irony because it's such a joke. It is really a joke, Mom. Now, you have a loud car only because it's an old car. My mom and Drew have the same philosophy on automobiles. They drive them forever and get a lot of value out of them.
1: <laughs> Why should I yeah. throw away something that works perfectly? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, there you go. I'm just the steady horse. I want to just stick with something and, and drive it till it dies. And it's, I'm a creature of habit, So why change it if it ain't broke?
2: There you go. There you go. Well, <laughs> there is something to be said for a rational amount of frugality in life. I agree. But hey, both of you are pretty darn wealthy. I got to say that much. You both have, um, you know, had different issues and frustrations with your property portfolio. And that's what I want to talk about today. Because Drew, every time you come to me and talk about a property, manager problem, I talk to you about how the hardest part of our business is property management. It's where the rubber meets the road, it's challenging, and I have recommended to you self-management. And I would recommend it for a lot of people. Now, look, folks, this is not for the newbies. If you don't know anything, don't self-manage right away. Learn some stuff from your manager. Learn about management. But my mother has been self-managing her real estate forever. And I always self-managed my local properties when I was strictly investing locally. But Now that I invest across the country, about 10 years ago, and I've told the story many times, I became an accidental self-manager of a property I had never seen and with tenants I had never met. And uh, I still haven't seen that property and you know I have self-managed very successfully actually several of my properties for years at a time and the self-management thing I think is really something to consider you know in every area of life sometimes it's actually easier to just go direct and cut out the middleman. Sometimes it's better to delegate things, I I admit, but sometimes it's better to just do things yourself, right? And uh, with management oddly it might be counterintuitive to some except my mother my mother is an extreme do-it-yourselfer that's what i call you an extreme DIYer. okay she self-manages everything and she's got properties in in several parts of the country so i just wanted to compare and contrast these two approaches for a bit so drew you've always had managers you started buying in indianapolis how many years ago did you start and and how many properties do you have now
0: I started in 2010 and it was sort of a funny thing because I'd saved up a bunch of money to put a down payment on a house in California. And when the prices went in half, I had enough to put about half down for a house. And since I was self-employed, everybody just looked at you and laughed if you were thinking you were gonna get a a loan. So I took the money and bought some investment properties out of state that required cash only deals because they were all bank foreclosures through your network and i'm up to 10 now so congratulations yeah. i have six in indianapolis and i have four in in uh, memphis
2: okay so six in indianapolis four in memphis and i remember you were buying stuff i mean you got some good buys on stuff back in 2010 so did everybody else <laughs> you know of course and I, I think the first property you bought i remember that property in indianapolis it was about what 55 60 thousand dollars, something like that
0: Oh, Jason, how dare you? No, no I got some ama- I got some amazing deals. All the places I bought in Indianapolis were between 40 and 50,000.
2: Wow, oh they and were they even were, cheaper. Oh,
0: wow. All fairly new construction, you know. I think my my crown jewel was I got a 4 bedroom, 2 bath, 1400 square foot house, you know, built in 2003 and I got it for 40 grand.
2: Oh my God. And that, so that was, that was, that was really a class A property, wasn't it? I mean, it's built in 2003. No, class B? Yeah,
0: I would say the problem is that with these areas that everything was built at the height, the market sort of evolved where everyone that came in got foreclosed on. So the neighborhood is sort of a little bit destabilized, but you know, the build is an A build. So you got an A house, but you know, the, the neighborhood is probably more of a c-plus neighborhood right, with right. A, a house be,
2: be, because because every because they were giving loans to everybody who could fog mirror <laughs> yeah absolutely so thanks for sharing that and mom tell us about uh, your situation i mean you were investing all around southern california and then you moved and i finally even though you never listened to me i finally got you interested a little bit in investing in some of these lower priced markets and you've got a couple of properties in those markets right Alabama, Mississippi?
1: Yes, I do. And uh, I had property managers for both of them. And the happiest day was when I got rid of those property managers.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And folks, I want to tell you, you can be free of property managers, too, if you want. But there's an interesting thing, and I think I want to, I'm going to take the middle ground in this discussion between the two of you. On one corner, you know, as if it's a boxing match, we've got my mother, who's the extreme do-it-yourselfer. And in the other corner, we've got Drew, who has property (laughs) managers for all of his properties properties. But Drew, since I, I know you and you've been a client for many years and, and a friend before that, you are a do-it-yourselfer in many other areas of your life. So I don't think you're like afraid of doing this, but you do have questions about it. And so I'm in the middle. I'll kind of referee this discussion. And here's what I want to just start with to make the conversation faster. I do a hybrid self management approach. That's what I recommend. So the hybrid part comes when you need to get a new tenant. When you've got a tenant that is moving out and you're between tenants. That is the part where I believe you should always hire a real estate agent, or better yet, a property manager, just to simply do the lease-up between tenants. Now, really, you give them a little more responsibility than the lease-up Itself, Okay, because of course in order to do the lease up They need to meet with the tenant who is leaving. They need to get the keys from them They need to go and say hi to them They need to do a walkthrough of the house and take pictures and send them to you So that you see what condition the house is in when that tenant was leaving and you know They can help you determine how much of the security deposit you want to give back and so forth and you need to send the tenant a letter saying, hey, you know, your security deposit was $1,500, but I kept $300 for this, that, and the other thing, and you need to itemize that, and there is, by the way, a time limit on that security deposit letter. I think in California, it's like three weeks. Around the country, it'll vary, so just know that, and then you get the real estate agent or the property manager doing a la carte services, a la carte services if they're a manager, okay? Okay. Where they will screen that tenant, they will take applications, they will advertise the property, et cetera, et cetera, and you will pay them strictly to do the lease up. Now, if you had a full property management contract, what that would include is them receiving the rent every month and handling everything, okay? So this is, understand... My opinion of this is it should be a hybrid approach. Now, Mom, the funny thing about you, and I loved I loved it. I thought it was hilarious when you said it. You said it from the stage at Meet the Masters. I think I was bugging you or someone had asked a question about why do you do all this yourself? You do it a hundred percent yourself. You don't get the help of anybody except maybe some free help from a local realtor occasionally. And and you can comment on that. And you said, well, I'm retired. I don't have anything else to do. (laughs) I thought that was so funny. (laughs) Do you care to comment on that?
1: Well, yes, because, um, you know, it just keeps you kind of active and in the game. When you're retired, you have to go to all of these stultifying women's luncheons and raise money for charity, and that is the most <laughs> boring thing in the world. So, I like I like to be in business.
2: Drew, does that just make you laugh what my mom just said? <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, yeah, I love it. You've got to go to all these stultifying women's lunches. <laughs>
1: I mean, you have to do something with your life. (laughs) Yeah, of course. And um, those things are a little bit boring to me.
2: Yeah, yeah, good. Well, I I agree. You know, I have zero interest in ever retiring. You know, I think the people that live the longest are the ones that keep themselves busy and occupied and stimulated. So I I love that you do that, Mom. I think it's great. But it doesn't mean that you need to deal with every little thing on all your properties. But Drew, what were you going to say?
0: Oh, I just was going to say, I remember one time as an April Fool's, you said you were going to retire. <laughs> yes,
2: <laughs> I did. I did write that on Facebook once. Yeah. yeah anybody who knows me knows that that ain't never going to happen because I have, you know, I don't care how rich I get. I, I like working. I, You know, you got to do something. You got to stay engaged with life. Very important thing, in, in my opinion. But mom, tell us about some of the issues and things that you deal with, self-managing your, I mean, you're self-managing long distance and you are the extreme do it yourself or tell us a little bit about it.
1: Well, let me make a suggestion first off to Drew. Drew, there is a wonderful organization called the Apartment Owners Association in California. And uh, they're all over the country, by the
2: way, just but go ahead.
1: Okay. Well, the one that I particularly belong to is the one in California. It's $79 a year. And with it, you can run your credit reports and every form that you ever need in the world to do everything legal is a part of that association. Mm-hmm. Plus, they send you a monthly magazine with all sorts of interesting articles One of them is cases by, you know, a landlord eviction attorney, and uh, it's just fabulous advice, okay? Mm -hmm. So that would be the, if you're
2: going to self-manage,
1: that would be the first thing I would suggest that you do.
0: Okay, great.
2: Apartment owners associations are not just for You can go
1: online, it's A O A U S A dot com.
2: Okay, so apartment owners associations aren't just what they sound. The name is a little deceiving. I just want everybody to know that. They have these all over the country. My mom happens to be a member of that one just because that's where she used to live in Southern California, where I used to live and spent most of my adult life. Let me just give you a little context here, too, for the conversation. We, of course, have sell properties nationwide through our referral network. Drew lives in Orange, California in Southern California. Mom and I grew up in Southern California in Los Angeles in Orange County That's where both of us started investing, you know She was investing when I was a kid and then when I grew up I started investing there too and I found it to be very speculative and I wanted to invest in better Sort of cash flow oriented properties. So you've heard me talk about that before but just a little context there. The Apartment Owners Association, the associations all around the country that they have are for any type of properties. So it's, the name's a little deceiving. If you own single family homes, you know you can still join an Apartment Owners Association. And my mom does everything herself. So she runs the credit for the prospective tenants herself, does the background checks, and you can get that service yourself. I am not suggesting you do this. I think for our investors, the hybrid approach is the right approach to have. So let's talk about that a little bit. Drew, you have questions and concerns about this, and I've said a lot about it. Talk to us about some of your questions and concerns, and let's just answer them for you.
0: The first thing is, is I think it's important to just basically start it off with some assumptions that, you know, that you're not going to live near the property I know you guys have some property in Orange County, or at least did, or L.A. County. And, oh, you oh know, and oh, it was true. I, I,
2: I wanted to say, by the way, my mom now lives in Gulf Shores, Alabama. So she doesn't live in Southern California anymore. Of course, neither do I. Right. Okay. Uh, So she's she's across the country, just so you know. Yeah. But she also owns properties in Alabama and Mississippi, and even the Alabama properties not near her home. But go ahead. Yeah.
0: Okay. So yeah, so you're not, you don't live near the property. You're not particularly handy. So it's not like you can go over there and change a light bulb or whatever. Oh, she's a little more handy than
2: you might think, (laughs) but go ahead. (laughs) Okay.
0: All right. Okay. All right. Well, okay. Maybe, well, changing a light bulb, we can handle that, but uh (laughs) Uh, You know, doing something more complicated, maybe. And you're not afraid to make mistakes, you know, so make small mistakes, but you're very afraid of making a big mistake. And then obviously, there's exceptions to every rule. So, you know, you have to be flexible because you're basically a small business owner when you're having to deal with a tenant, and the tenant is almost like your employee. So, you have to have some sort of businessy skills to approach this and be successful, I'd hope. So, that's kind of the assumptions I think are fair to make starting off.
2: Yeah. And, Mom, you know, if you didn't do the lease ups on your properties each time, Really, I think the rest of the stuff you do is really quite easy. So I'd like to talk about that. I see. I think the area that, like I said, the hybrid approach, hire a property manager to do the lease up. They will probably woo you and court you to try and get the ongoing account because that's the part that's easiest and most profitable for them I believe okay but you don't want to do that you want to have the tenants send you the rent every month so mom Talk to us about how you do that. I love the way you do it. It's super simple. You make the tenant responsible for just putting the money in your bank account, and you look online, and you're really on top of it. You know, every month on the 1st, you look and see if those deposits were made. Talk to us about that.
1: Oh, well, the first thing before that happens, you have to let that tenant know that you are an absolute stickler for getting your rent on or before the first day of the month. And that's what makes it easy. Well, I do that when I meet with a tenant. Of course, you want to let the real estate agent handle that. Well, the first mistake they're going to make is that they're going to give the tenant that grace period in the lease. And so when it says, you know, when the rent is due, you cross out that grace period thing and you say zero days. And then you inform the tenant that the late fee will be $70 if the rent is not there in your bank account, rather, on the first day of the month, and it is $5 each day until the rent is paid in full.
2: Okay. Let me say something on this. Let me say something on this. The laws regarding late fees do vary, but yours is actually not that bad, mom. You're actually kind of easy about it. Remember at meet the masters when one of our property managers said it's $25 per day. And I asked them, and that was in Memphis, by the way. And I asked him, I said, is that legal? And he goes, yeah, it's legal. (laughs) So, you know, you're going to have a tenant paying pretty darn quick if it's 25 bucks per day. That's expensive. So what you're saying is that a lot of the leases have a boilerplate in them that say, you know, rent is due on the 1st, and on the 4th, you'll be assessed and it's a late, late fee. not until
1: the 4th Yeah, or
2: which is kind of and, silly. And you've
1: got to stop doing that. Yeah, right. That's just ridiculous, because that means you're always going to be chasing your rent. All right. My rents are typically in my bank account the first day of the month mm-hmm. or okay. before.
2: Right. Okay. What else do you deal with on a monthly basis? Because again, my recommendation in this whole discussion, just make sure you hear me, is that the owner, the investor, the landlord deal with the tenant on the ongoing monthly basis, but not on the lease up and the screening. I think that's the hard part. So you delegate the hard part and do the easy part yourself. Do your tenants, you know, mom, everybody talks about how, oh, you're going to get a call at three o'clock in the morning that the garbage disposal. Doesn't work. I mean, I never get those calls. That's just complete like folklore. First of all,
1: that's ridiculous. First of all, that's ridiculous.
2: Tell us about that. Do Um, tenants bug you all the time? This is what people envision. No. Yeah. Okay.
1: No. The longer you have the tenant, the less hassle you have with that tenant because they start regarding it as their house and they start fixing things. So you never get those. The garbage disposal is plugged, the toilet is plugged, and besides, your lease states very clearly that any garbage disposal that is plugged up, because the garbage disposal works perfectly when they take over the house, that is their responsibility to call the plumber because they're the ones that put the bad stuff down. it. the same thing with the toilet, the same thing with changing light bulbs, the same thing with the yard. They're responsible for watering, for mowing, edging, trimming. All of those things are clearly spelled out in the lease, and you do not get those kind of calls. That's ridiculous.
2: I, I know. It's kind of like all the lawyers that talk all about this asset protection, you know, this huge need for more asset protection. You know, oh, what if the tenant does a slip and fall? I have never heard of that lawsuit ever. I mean, I hear people talk about how it could happen, and it could, I admit that, but I've never heard of it actually happening. Mom, have you ever had a slip and fall lawsuit, or has a tenant ever actually sued you for anything other than, you know, like a dispute in the rent or an eviction when you're trying to evict them?
1: No, they've never...
2: And how long have you owned a rental property? For 40 years now or something? You know, this stuff is just folklore. A lot of times this is just mythology, folks.
1: Since about 1980. I
2: would say. Okay. Since 1980, you've owned rental properties and uh, a tenant has never sued you. Drew, questions?
0: Oh, I was just going to add a point of humor. So my wife, uh, growing up, uh, the bottom unit, the kind of bottom two-bedroom apartment that she, uh, she lived in a house where the top unit was the main house and the bottom unit was the granny flat, and her grandma slipped on the front porch and had fractured her hip. And her parents said, "We'll sue us because that way you can take advantage of the homeowners association." So, <laughs> so, so, flip and ball, thats the one that I've only heard of. So, yeah. Grandma was in on the tape.
2: Okay, so, 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 Mom, with this ongoing monthly you know rent collection repair issues do people call you and say there's some ants or cockroaches in my house you know send over a pest control company uh do they do that kind of stuff
1: it's not my responsibility
2: to do pest if control the
1: house is clean
2: right.
1: and you know you've had the company come and you know fumigate it okay type of thing yep. that is a tenant responsibility that's my judgment okay And I will not. uh, I had a tenant in uh, Canoga Park who, uh, after three months, she said uh, the dog got fleas in the backyard. And I said, Well, most people have their backyard sprayed when they have pets. You know, it's just not your responsibility.
2: Yeah. So here's the other thing. And Drew, you know, and all the listeners, I've talked about this many times when it comes to the self management discussion. The property manager has an inherent conflict of interest. A lot of good property managers will get complaints on Yelp on, you know, online, right? Because they're tough with the tenants. You got to notice whenever you're looking at a property manager's reviews online, who are they coming from? Are they coming from owners or tenants? The property manager is inherently, and I feel a little bit bad for them, they're caught in the middle. So they're trying to serve two masters, and you can't serve two masters. That's the rule of life, right? It's an inherent conflict of interest. So they will tend to maybe be soft on the tenant, costing the investor or the landlord or the owner more money because they don't want the tenant to go write bad things about them online, you know? They don't want to argue with the tenant about stuff so they'll give your money away it's kind of like these liberal politicians you know, they give (laughs) other people's money away so that they can be seen as the nice guy, like they're frickin' Robin Hood or something, you know? It's, It's ridiculous talk about like the late Ted Kennedy, oh he was such a nice man No, he was a person who stole money from some people and gave it to other people to buy their vote. He's a, you know, (laughs) I mean, how is that generosity? Yeah, everybody's generous with someone else's money, aren't they? It's crazy. Lest we digress. Yeah,
0: don't let him drive you. Don't let him drive you to a party.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, oh, haha, Yeah, Chappaquiddick.
1: (laughs) Chappaquiddick. Why don't we talk about... If a uh, toilet needs to be changed, or some particulars that mm-hmm. you might have in
2: uh, mind, Drew, something Go breaks. for it. Drew, ask, ask the extreme do-it-yourself for yeah. some questions. Well,
0: yeah. let, 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 I think the important thing is to say, I think we've already touched on it a little bit, but Joyce, I'm curious... Step one, you have a vacant property. What are you doing? Are you flying and putting, getting posters and putting them up in the neighborhood? (laughs) Yes. You know, (laughs) how are you executing that to get the tenant? If you're not using a management company, I want to start there, and then we'll get into now you have a tenant. But first, how do you have a vacant property? How are you terming the unit, and how are you getting the tenant?
1: Okay. Well. This is because I'm doing this all of my all myself, and I come to Los Angeles, or I go to uh, Gulfport, Mississippi, or I go to um, Northport, you know, Alabama. And before I go there, I line up painters and gardening people because I don't expect the property is probably going to look tenant ready, and so instead of wasting time, I will call. 10 different painters. And I will make appointments with them every half hour or so. Now you can't control when they show up, but they will all give you estimates on painting that property. And at the end of the day, you will know what's a good price for painting that house and what isn't. And I'll also have gardening people show up and tell me getting the place, you know, shaped up, what what that's going to cost. If uh, you think you've got plumbing problems, call and have five different plumbers show up. You handle all of that stuff the first day and in your phone call prior to ever arriving at the property, you say, I will be in Los Angeles on January 10th and I would like to meet with you at such and such time. And if we can agree upon a price you need to be able to go to work immediately or the very next day because you don't want to spend a lot of money on motel bills. So within three <laughs> days, I have those Extreme properties or, yeah. stick in span because those people have to go to work immediately. Right,
2: right. And this is the part, everybody, that I am saying you delegate. This is what the real estate agent or that property manager will do for you In the tenant turn, but there's two magic things about what my mom does. I disagree with her doing all this herself, but, you know, it's like her retirement fun, I guess. So, uh, whatever, you know, to each their own. But, you know, one of the things I will say is my mom gets great deals on stuff and drew you get great deals on stuff too and I'll just share a personal example I didn't even know this I didn't realize that I have a very good property manager for some of my Florida properties okay you know I've been with this property manager for years she's great okay and this is how I decide whether I'm gonna have a manager or not if they're good I keep them if they're marginal or they're terrible I get rid of them and self manage that's sort of how I make my decision kind of by default whether I'm going to do it right and so the other day she reaches out to me i've got her trained now to use voxer that's another thing that makes things very convenient she reaches out to me on voxer says jason your property on um i can't remember the address but uh your property it needs a new refrigerator and i vox her back right away and i say I didn't know I owned a refrigerator there. And she says, yeah, you know, all our properties, they have refrigerators. Okay, well, fine. She says, and it'll be $870 or something. And I said, that's ridiculous. I'm not paying $870 for a new refrigerator. I said, you know, maybe we should just go to the tenant and say, we'll reduce the rent by 10 bucks a month. And they buy their own refridge. And she was like, oh, no, we can't do that. Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's p- ridiculous, right? And I said, well, that's just too much money. So somehow, magically, she finds a better deal for me. And the next deal is... Well, I've got this one. It was returned this fridge. There's a mom and pop appliance shop here uh, Nearby and this refrigerator was returned. She sends me pictures of it. it looks beautiful looks perfect, right? And you can get it for three hundred and fifty dollars. It's basically new under full warranty It was just returned and my guy will pick it up and install it and get rid of the old one for a hundred and sixty bucks I said that's fine. I'll do that. But the hundred and sixty dollars is too much I'm happy to pay 350 for the refridge then somehow Somehow that Refridge sells out from under me, and I'm a little bummed out. Then she finds a new one, a brand new one, on sale with delivery included and disposal of the old Refridge included, okay, from, I don't know, maybe it was Lowe's or something. I can't remember. She sends me the link, and the whole price, all in for everything brand new, beautiful Refridge, was like $460, Isn't that amazing just because I resisted and didn't accept what she told me? This is one of the things I'm saying, look, folks, I'm a wealthy guy, okay? I got more than enough money, okay? But why waste it, number one? And number two, it makes you better to go through the exercise sometimes and push back a little bit. And you'll be amazed just by asking a couple questions. Suddenly you save $400. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. One time I had a tenant who wanted a, a security door, you know, one of those kind of wire mesh doors on top of their door. Cause they felt like they right. heard that there'd been a local break in or something. Yeah. And so the property management came to me and said, it's going to be $300 to do this. And I said, well, if they want to add some security door to the front door, that's their prerogative. I mean, the, they rented it as is. And I said, well, you know what? Okay. I'll do it. We can add $10 to their monthly rent or I'll split it with them. Yeah. And so they ended up going with the splitting and I thought that was fine because they're adding it to my property. So I should have to pay for some of it.
2: I, in theory, it'll improve the value of your property, right? And so that's the other principle I want to say. And mom, I, I kind of doubt you do this, but I'm willing to do it like Drew. I did that deal on that first self-managed property in San Antonio, Texas, where I didn't know the property didn't have a garage door opener. And, you know, the tenant uh, sends me a note with the rent when my property manager gets out of the business, suddenly I'm self-managing by default. That's how it happened. Property I've never seen, tenant I've never met. And he says, you know, I'd really like to get a garage door opener. So what I did is I basically said, look, if you will pay, I think I can't remember the amount, so forgive the exact numbers here, but I think I made a deal with him. If he would pay like $15 a month more in rent, I would buy the garage door opener and And he actually installed it. He was a super handy guy, and he installed it. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, oh, my God, that's going to create liability. You know, what if he gets hurt installing it? You're going to get sued. Yeah, I guess so. That's possible. But it didn't happen. And so here I am basically financing his garage door opener. And in about 14 months, he paid me back for it. And I improved the comp, the value of the rent overall. So, um you know, there are lots of options here. Yeah, make deals. Don't be afraid to make deals with your tenants. A lot of times they want to improve the property. And you know, improving your property is okay. They'll help you finance the improvement many times. This will be continued on the next episode. Thank you for listening and happy investing.